The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Mighty God, you have gathered us here, here in this room this morning, in this place, in this city, in this land. You have gathered us for a moment, a brief portion of our short lives, to consider your word, to think about you in a particular focused way. This is a Therefore, this is a holy moment that we would be here gathered before you to hear, asking you, as we just sang, asking you to speak, and that you would stoop to oblige us. You would clear out our schedules and make it, make it possible for us to come here, to sit here, to read and to to hear in a language that we know, to hear, read the very Word of God, to open it in a way that we can perceive it in our spirits by your Spirit's illumining work. You are God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We are specks on that earth and you stoop to speak to us. Remarkable. And you stoop to speak to us to build us up and to clarify us for us. Clarify you for us. Would you do that please? Would you open your word here this morning and build us up by clarifying us for us and clarifying you for us? Would you build us up towards the end of magnifying your great name? Let us be clear that we are not the end. You are. It couldn't be otherwise. You are God and we aren't. Let us be clear that you are the end and that you build your church for your glory. You build up your people for your honor. You spread news of you and of your work. Spread news of the gospel. Spread news of your son for your honor and for the marveling of the nations at what you have done, at your wisdom and your power. This is indeed very good for us. It is, it is great blessing to us. And so it is a display of your love and your kindness to us, but it is for you that you would be honored. And so please accomplish that this morning. Build up your people by clarifying us and you and build us up that you would be more honored, that you would be more known and more worshipped, more treasured. Build your church, Lord, please. Call in to your church, some here, some who will hear this, 
Call in those who are not yet in. Call them in, Lord. Clear away the barriers and open their eyes. Remove the blinders. Give them grace to see. Give them ears to hear. Make your word clear this morning. Build your church. And we, your people, Lord, we sit and we say, thank you. Thank you for this moment in which you speak to us for our good and for your glory. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Turn our attention this morning to the middle of Luke chapter 8. We were last here two weeks ago, and as we've seen so far, the bulk of this chapter has been concerned with the parable of the sower, a parable that Jesus spoke to a large crowd that was gathering around him one day to listen to him as he was again preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And as the crowd gathered, he spoke this parable, this open riddle, a phrase I used a couple weeks ago. Oh, it's a way of describing a parable, an open riddle. It, not in that it's, it's completely confusing and opaque and, and unintelligible nonsense. Not, not a riddle like that. But it's, it's a riddle in the sense that, like a riddle, there's truth in it that's a bit cloaked. Like a riddle, it's almost asking right up front, do you really want to spend the time thinking about this or not? There's something here if you'll think, if you'll listen with ears to hear. We addressed this, brought this up a couple weeks ago when we looked at what Jesus said in verses 9 and 10. At verse 9, he switches and no longer is speaking to the massive crowd, but he's talking to his disciples, to insiders. He's talking to the church in verse 9 and following, and he's explaining how God uses this, this cloaked truth, these, these parables. And it's because of the sobering reality of judgment that God intends on the others. We had to handle this very carefully. And I would encourage you to, to go back and listen to the sermon again. It's online if, if, if you want to listen to this in more detail. But there's something there to consider very soberly that at the end brings us out to a, this point of worship because we see that what God is, is doing for us, for the people who are the, the you of verse 10, His people, His elect, to use the word of the Bible, is putting on them a particular love, a particular, careful, focused, deliberate love for you, his own. To you he is given to know the secret to the kingdom of God. Jesus speaks in parables because of what he intends for others, but to you he intends you to know, to hear to be drawn on, to hear and to listen to, to embrace and then to apply and to walk in this word that he speaks. That's where the parable of the soils ends in verse 15 with, with the good soil that holds fast and produces fruit. Proper hearing of the word. That's been the point throughout the parable and that's the point that continues on into our passage for this morning. Proper hearing of the word. That was the all-important word that occurred a bunch of times up in the, in the previous verses, and it's a couple of times here this morning as well. He's still working. Jesus, Luke, is still working on hearing properly. And so in many ways, what he says this morning is similar to what he already said. There's a very similar point struck here, with a little bit of a difference. 
he adds in some more this morning. So it's not quite the same, but it is similar. He adds in this morning some motivation. A warning, so negative motivation, and a sweet promise, positive motivation. Why would one be concerned to hear? Well, he gives, more, he gives some motivation this morning while also calling us to hear. So here's the point that I'm working towards this morning in verses 16 through 21. Let me put it in a, in a simple sentence. We must hear properly if we are to receive good. We must hear properly if we are to receive good. Real simple sentence. That's what I'm working towards. Let me read the passage. This is verses 16 through 21. Jesus speaking. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd, and he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Luke chapter 8. I'm going to make two observations. Here's the first one. God reveals the truth about our hearts by exposing us to his kingdom message in Jesus. Full sentence, I'll say it again. God reveals the truth about our hearts by exposing us to his kingdom message in Jesus. Could you also have used the language of the passage, by exposing us to his word? That's the phrasing of verse 21. We saw that was in the previous parable, verse 11 and elsewhere, for instance. And as we discussed a couple weeks ago, when talking about the Word of God, we could use that phrase, and of course the Bible does, we could use that phrase and everything that I'm going to say here this morning to very broadly mean the Old and the New Testament, the whole of the Bible. That, that would be fair, and that, that is done in other contexts, but in this particular context, Jesus surely has something a little more focused in mind. He's talking about people hearing the word, that is, hearing what he's preaching. Verse 1, the good news of the kingdom of God, which is the good news. It, it is a message that is good about the kingdom, about who he is, about what kingdom life is like. So I'm talking, instead of talking about the word, I'm talking about the kingdom message in Jesus. Let's work towards seeing how God uses that. Verse 16. Verse 16 is a common sense parable used in a number of different contexts, and whenever we come to it, we need then, therefore, to look and see how is it being used exactly here. It could be turned and used in different ways. How is it being used here? So here, Jesus brings up this idea that no one lights a lamp and then covers it. 
The lamp is lit by someone so that there will be light in the room. And then, differently than how he uses it in, in Matthew, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, he's a little differently here, the lamp doesn't exactly give light to everybody in the room to help them see the room or to see other things in the room. Not quite that, but rather, it says, so that those who enter may see the light itself. That's the end of the verse. There's a subtle difference, difference there. Lights are not put under a bed, Jesus is saying, so no one can see them, but they're lit right out in the open so that the light can be cast broadly all throughout the room so everybody comes into the room can see the light. For, verse 17, because, here's the reason why you'd put the light right in the middle where everybody can see the light. For, nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. Nor is anything secret that will not be known. Simplify that. You put the light right in the middle of the room, exposing the light to everybody who comes in so everybody can see the light. For, the lamplighter intends that nothing remain hidden. He intends that secret things be known. So there are three stages here to this, this line of thinking Jesus is laying out. You've got to follow this closely. Not just two. Not just light in the room, hidden things therefore revealed. Not just two, but light in the room, people see the light, Second stage. And then hidden things are revealed. Three stages, not just two. The lamplighter intends something here. Seeing the light be right in the middle. For, why? Because I want the hidden things made known. What's Jesus getting at? Well, remember our context here, and you can figure this out. So we got lighting the lamp, everybody seeing it, things known, hidden things known. What's the context? Parable of the four soils. For a moment, to understand what Jesus is getting at, take out light falling on everybody's eyes and put in seed falling on everybody. Then you see what he's getting at. Seed cast everywhere. It falls on everybody. And what happens? Hidden things are revealed. Eventually, the seed falls there, and eventually we discover it fell into, say, the second soil. Looks perfectly fine at the start, but then what's hidden and then revealed? Oh, you know what? There's a rock layer under that dirt. Didn't realize that at first. Oh, you know what? I didn't realize that there were all kinds of other weeds there. Oh, I didn't realize that was good soil. It's cast, the seed is cast broadly, falls on everybody, and then the hidden thing about the soil is revealed. The light, cast broadly, falls on everybody, and the hidden thing about the soil is revealed, to mix the metaphors. Do you see what he's getting at? Jesus is saying something about the purpose of God in broadcasting the light in broadcasting Jesus' message. It's out in public. 
Everybody sees it right in the middle of the room. I'm not off preaching in a cave somewhere in secret. I am in town after town, city after city, village after village. Everybody everywhere hears this because God has sent me to preach it publicly so that it falls on everybody and everybody sees because he intends to reveal the hidden. He intends to reveal the true nature of the hearts of men. And women. God has lit a lamp for He intends nothing to remain hidden. He is causing in all of the world a great dividing, maybe think of a, of a great dividing rod to fall on all the world that will cause everybody to scatter one way or the other. To clear up what is otherwise hidden and otherwise confusing. People the world over, maybe you, people the world over think they stand favorably disposed towards God. Notice I'm using the word God. People the world over think they are friends with God, forgiven by God, a fellower of God, interested in God, willing to align with God, desirous of God's kingdom, like many religious people of the day, like many religious people of this day. People who follow former religions, people who don't, and just call themselves spiritual. The world over thinks itself on God's side. And God says, I'm going to drop onto the world a dividing line. I'm going to cast in front of everybody light. The kingdom message in Jesus. And I'm going to clarify what's really true. I'm going to reveal the hidden realities that are hiding behind. I'm, I'm friends with God. Let's see. Let me make something really clear then. God drops onto the world a divide, a sifting message centered in Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible. And he says, this Jesus, this one is the king. This is God come in the flesh. This is the way the kingdom reign of God is brought into the world and enacted on the world under the scepter of this king. And this is the only way anybody can come into the kingdom favorably on, on forgiven terms under the mercy of this king. This is the, the message that he, that he drops onto all of the world. He clarifies it is all about Jesus. He is the long-promised one. He is the one I have anointed. He is the one I have put my spirit on. He is the one in whom release is declared. And there is no such thing as a friend of God who rejects Jesus. There is no such thing as a forgiven person who does not come via Jesus and His cross. Before that message is put out there, it is very easy for people and, and everybody, the whole world, thinks, whatever the standard is, I'm, I'm just above it. I'm, I'm okay. I'm just barely fine. 
until God says, let me light a lamp and put it right in the middle so that everybody sees it. It is all about God come in flesh, crucified, the only way to be saved. And everybody divides. And we find out how we really stand before God. Why is he doing this? Why does he do this? A couple reasons. First, because God the Father very clearly is passionate about lifting up and holding up in front of all of the world his Son. To draw all of the world's attention onto his Son. To draw all of the world's worship and to clarify the issue of what worship of God actually is. To clarify that. He is about lifting up and clarifying God himself, Jesus, for us. So, so God is about God. That, that's one reason that he, that he wants to shine the light in front of everybody and to reveal the hearts of all people. Because God's about God and about honoring the Son. But also because he wants to say to us, One of two things, depending on who we are. He wants to say to us, don't worry about it. They won't get away with it. Or, think twice. You won't get away with it. Depending on who you are, he wants to say, don't worry about it. They won't get away with it. Or, think twice. You won't get away with it. This falls, every secret, every true intention of the heart, all of humanity is sorted, clarified, divided, sifted, to use his word from earlier in Luke, winnowed. The chaff is separated from the grain. It happens. We, we who are are believers and who feel often plagued and and persecuted and troubled and worried. He says, I have set up a lamp. It will bring everything to light. It will, there will be perfect clarity. Nobody gets away with anything. Don't you worry about it. I have it. We very often, Christians, we, to use another picture from Jesus' ministry, we very often want to run around and pull all the weeds out. Because there's infestation in the field. He says, don't worry about it. I'll see the weeds. I'll take care of it. There is an encouragement there for us. But the bulk of this is about warning. The bulk of Jesus' audience, Jesus assumes, think of themselves as on God's side. He's talking to an audience of Jewish listeners who think of themselves as the people of God. Down through the ages, even into this very day, We meet people commonly, not everybody, but we meet people commonly who think themselves on God's side. And he says, think twice about that. Think twice about that. 
I see the truth, and it will be made known. So men and women, in this moment right now, that warning is a warning that should come to you with hope in it. Because the divide is falling, but it has not, it has not yet struck. The divide is coming down. And, and if what comes to your ears is the awareness, I have heard enough of the message of the kingdom from Jesus to realize He claims to be the King. That He says there is no hope apart from Him. That he also taught when speaking about the kingdom. He said, who does the kingdom belong to? Those who are humble and poor in spirit. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are broken over their sin and are crying out help. And that's not me. Is light, uh, please I hope, is light shining even by God right now into your heart to help you to realize that's not me. On the outside, to all of us, you look like perfectly good soil. We can't see the rocky layer beneath. He can. Think twice. You won't get away with it. I don't mean that in a chastising sense. I mean think twice. Once it falls, there won't be any getting away with it. Maybe God even right now is shining light into your heart and saying to you, you you have been a part of this church or some other church or some other religion or some other disposition in life where you have felt yourself and others think of you as as very spiritual and very God-loving and very good and very worthy. But how Jesus describes himself, you don't believe that, that he is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity that he's the king, and how Jesus describes what his people are like, humble and broken over their sinfulness, longing for righteousness to come from outside of them, not from from their own selves, but from outside of them. That's what he describes the people. That's not you. Is it you? May God shine on you right now and expose you to you. I'll never see it. May he expose you to you. Are you poor in spirit, humble over your sin? Do you long for Jesus to own you? Think twice and be careful. Because God has set up right in the middle of the room the kingdom message in Jesus to shine out and to divide us all, to sift us all. The truth about you will be known. That is a great and important point from this passage that that I can do nothing but but plead with you to hear and invite you to respond to. How should you respond? The second observation gets at how we should respond. Respond. And in addressing how we should respond, it tells all of us how we should 
respond. I mean that in a respond, in an ongoing sense. Here's the second observation. Trust and obey Jesus. Absolute alienation from or increasing intimacy with God are at stake. Trust and obey Jesus. <coughs> Negatively, absolute alienation from, positively, increasing intimacy with God are at stake. This is the part that's added into this morning's message in relation to the parable of the soils. So far, similar point. Be careful how you hear because everything gets found out eventually. But now he gives us some motivation. Negative and positive. So right after he says, everything will be revealed, that's God's intention to reveal. Then he gives the appropriate, the, the critical call. Verse 18, take care then how you hear. Proper hearing. Proper way to respond to Jesus' word. Hearing and doing. We find that in verse 21. Verses 19 and 20 are apparent from looking at other Gospels that Luke has taken this story and cut away the rest of the context and dropped it in right here because he wants verse 21 in this story, in this flow. 19 and 20 just set the stage to explain how it is that we come to 21. He says in 21, My mother and my brothers are those, we'll talk more about that later, are those who hear the word of God and do it. Proper hearing, proper response. Hear it and do it. Hear it, consider it, take it in. Embrace it, trust it, and obey it. If you find yourself today realizing as prayerfully God shines light onto you and you realize, I'm the second soil, I'm the third soil, there's something wrong inside of me, then the, the call from God is hear, trust, and obey. Surrender yourself to him. Say, Lord, here I am. Repent. Hear the message that he's the king and hear the message that he's the only way to be saved and hear the message that he will certainly save all who come to him humble and broken over their sin and come, do it. Come. Trusting him. Laying down your life in front of him. Why should you do that? Because there is much at stake, everything at stake, in fact. I'm going to consider the negative first. I'm going to be shorter on the negative, though there's more words. I'm going to be shorter on the negative. And the reason I'm going to be shorter on the negative is that there's a, there's a biblical principle that we need to keep in mind when we weigh the negative and the positive. First of all, 
we don't throw out the negative and just be positive, 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 positive. That would be to cut out large chunks of the Bible because we think we know better. I'll say that again. That would be to cut out large chunks of the Bible because we think we know better. We should never talk about negative things. God got it wrong. People don't respond to that. He says, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. He says negatively, this one, these ones who think they have relationship with me, they don't, but they think they do, that will be taken away, even what they think they have, that will be taken away, they will be left with nothing in absolute alienation from me, cut off. That is a negative on the lips of Jesus. We need to be really clear about that and state that that is a threat, a promise of terrible things. We need to be really clear about that because there's danger involved. But the biblical principle is it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. So if we, if we got two feet here, negative and positive, our weight should be on the positive. The negative makes us aware of the need. And the positive, it is His kindness that draws us on to repentance. It is the love of God. It is the, the mercy of God. It is the kindness, the, the tender, gracious appeal of this, of this Jesus who has alerted us to great danger that then woos us on with kindness. So negatively, there is much at stake. Everything will be lost. Need. But why should you come? What, you mean you flee from the, the terror? Yeah. But, but to what? What's positive? Oh, much is positive. Much is positive. And I think it helps us to address this in reverse. So I'm skipping ahead to verse 21. Positively, what's here that's positive? Why should you take care to hear properly? Luke throws in 19 and 20 to give us the context for 21. Here's the, here's the context in which the mother and brothers of Jesus, the family of Jesus came up. And Jesus says, you know what? You know who's my family? You know who is my family? My beloved ones. Those that are near to me like a mother is near to you. Those who are near to me like a brother is near to you. He doesn't mean this literally. He's trying to grab those images of, of mother and brother and say, those are the people that you are like this with. Those are the people that you do anything for. Those are the people that, you, that you'd never be separated from, that you love most in this world. You know who those people are? For me, says Jesus, my family, my beloved ones. Those who hear the word of God and do it. What kind of incentive, what kind of motivation is that for you? Why should you hear the word properly? Family of Jesus. Beloved one of Jesus. Jesus says, these are my people. 
These are mine. What's held out in front of you, men and women, brothers and sisters, we can use that term brothers and sisters because Jesus has said, I'm not just talking about dirt, quality of soil. I'm not even just talking about some kind of abstract piece of you, your heart. I'm talking about you and me like this. My people. You who hear and do. I want to hear and do then. I want to hear and do. I want to hear properly. And the tense here, the grammar, ongoing. An ongoing hearing and an ongoing doing. I want to be a person who walks hearing and doing. Because that's who Jesus says is mine. You have that, you good soil, you hearer and doer. You. That's why you should embrace that. that. That's why you shouldn't just flee from loss. You should flee to great gain. And even more than that, because, backing now back up into verse 18, what does he say positively in verse 18? Take care then of how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. By whom? By God. You're this, you're mine. And that actually begins the giving process. I back up a dump truck to your place and I start pouring out. I will give to you more. You have more? I'm going to give more. I'm going to give more. I'm going to give more. I'm going to to give to you. I'm going to take from them. They'll be left with nothing, absolutely alienated. But you, intimacy with me in increasing measure. More will be given to you. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, he's not talking about more jobs and better health. This is what you have. You have, and I'll give you more as you are hearing and doing. What is he talking about? We could use words like communion or fellowship or filling. As we hear and take in and respond to and embrace and walk in that in obedience, what we find is a growing intimacy with God. You've met people that you know. You've met Christians that you know. You could say about them, you know God better than I do. How did that happen? They walked with him for a while. They walked with him hearing his word and receiving it and obeying him. And he gave more of himself to them. And seeing more of him, they were more drawn, more motivated to walk with him and to take in his word and embrace it and trust it and obey it. And he gave more of himself to them. And seeing more of him, they were more inclined and more persuaded that God is everything. He's the one I was made for. And they trusted him more and walked with him more. That's how that happened. They had 
And he gave to them more. Don't you want that? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. That's what you were made for. That's what you were made for. And his offer of that, his kind, gracious, merciful offer of that is what draws us into repentance. It draws us on towards him. There is indeed a reality, a, a negative reality, but, but negative reality never drew anybody to Christ. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance and that draws us on to follow him and walk with him. And brothers and sisters, there is much laid out here in front of you in just a few little words. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And he who has, I'm going to give him more. So come to him, hear his word properly, and do it. When you hear him teach about Love your enemy, and great will be your reward in heaven. Hear that. Do it. Hear that and say, well, that is frightening when I consider this particular enemy. But I believe you. I'm going to step towards that person. Help me to do so. Do that. Do it believing Him to be there to help you and to be there to give you great as your reward in heaven, to give you more of Himself then and even now. We need God. That's what we were made for. That's who we were made for. We need God. And where, where you stand in relation to Him will be made clear one day publicly at the day of judgment. Perhaps one day before then publicly as, as others see you walk away from Him. But prayerfully, that's being made clear to you even right now. And if you are separated from Him, the one you need be alerted to the fact that He will take away all and you will be left in utter alienation if you stay there. And be alerted, be kindly alerted to the fact that turning, hearing, walking with Him leads you to immense, immense, growing increasing intimacy with the one for whom you were made. I don't have the words to press that home adequately, so I'm going to say it again. The one for whom you were made. We were not made to live off of this world. We're made to live, for now, in this world off of Him. Drawing life from Him in communion with Him. He's the one for whom you were made. He's the one to whom you will be drawn and with whom you will live forever. 
And he invites you, come to me, hear my, my kingdom commands in Jesus, how it is all centered on Jesus. Come to me, hear him, obey him, and walk with him, and you will receive more and more and more of him, the one for whom you were made. This is an offer. It is a good offer. Don't refuse it. Take care how you hear and come to him and receive good from his hand. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would be at work shining the light into every heart and into to every nook and cranny of, of our existence, revealing Jesus as the center, revealing Jesus as the kingdom hope that we need. And would you clarify would you clarify for people, particularly for those who are on the outside, that they are on the outside? Clarify us for us. And clarify you for us. Show us Christ as the one we need. Woo us with the offer of intimacy. The increasing awareness, the increasing understanding the increasing depth of relationship with Him. Clarify You for us. Build up Your church that You would be honored. Father, we have opportunity now to, to celebrate communion as we take these elements in our hands and remember the cross by which You set up Your kingdom by which, at which you dealt with the sin of your people. Make us aware of this and thankful for it and confident in its sufficiency. Continue to work with us, Lord. Whatever ways that we need it, draw us on to you, please. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.